Welcome to the Original Design Restored podcast. I'm Katie Tremonti, and I'm so happy to have you joining us today. Today, I am joined by Angie Bauman, and I'm so grateful that you decided to come on, Angie. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Yes, me too. I feel like you there's so much in your heart to share, but also so much practical from your own experience that you're going to get to share with us today. We're entering into this season. We're early on. Your episode is early on in this season of Tell the Truth, where we're really naming and addressing lies that we've believed. And really, you're going to share a lie that you believe specifically, and then unpacking not only how it impacted you, but once God brought the truth in and brought you through a transformation process, what it looked like to live from the truth as opposed to the lie that had been impacting you. But before we get into your story, let me introduce you just a little bit, because you have quite the the ministry um, list of things that you are involved in, places that you are serving, ways that you're bringing goodness and beauty on the earth. And so you have a podcast called the Steady On Podcast. You are also the, are you the creator of the step-by-step Bible study method? I am. Yes. Okay. And then you're an intern for Kathy Lips Ministry, and you're an academy mentor for Flourish Writers, and you're also a wife and mom. So you have a lot, a lot going on right now. And um, you also just have, from learning about you some, we kind of met online. So from learning about you from a distance, you have your own personal story of powerful transformation. So when you're talking about transformation, when you're doing the ministries you're doing, you're speaking from a very personal space of God having been present and at work in your own life. So as we get ready to talk about your story, before we do, is there anything you would like our audience to know about you, the work you do, anything to introduce yourself? I appreciate the opportunity. I think I have for years, Katie, I have introduced myself as what I do right? Mm. Like this is, this is what I do. I am a pastor. I am a Bible teacher. I am this, I am that I am wife to Matt. I am mom to Alex and Josh, all of which are true and good things in my life. But over the last couple of years, the Lord, as he's helped heal me and continue to free me from the lies that we'll talk about, I, it's important for me that I introduce myself as uh, a trauma and abuse survivor who for years carried a heavy weight of shame and insecurity And through knowing God in his word and studying him and believing he is who he says he is, I now live with more freedom and hope and rest and peace imperfectly, but I, I know it. And so that, that's my heart. That's my heart of who I am. I love that because you're identifying yourself as a survivor and then the beauty that God has brought in you as he has been bringing peace to you more than the work that you're doing. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love that you shared that. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate that. Um, anything else you want to share about that? I'm always planning a trip to Disney. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> I have a ridiculous—I know—I have a ridiculous collection of colored Yeti cups because I'm—I'm I'm a Yeti, and I'm always planning a trip to Disney. There you go. That's, that's a little <laughs> bit more fun than the drama and abuse part of me. <laughs> well, I love that. So, what's your favorite color of Yeti cup? Oh my goodness. Well, usually the most recent one that I have, but I have a kind of a hot pink one that is really, yeah, it's a nice one. So nice. Nice. (laughs) And when's your next trip to Disney? October. Oh, yay. It's coming up. (laughs) I love that. Okay. So survivor and God's peace. And you have a lot of fun too. I, I try. I am not, you know, it's kind of funny with my kids. My boys now are 
18 and 12. So I don't have littles anymore. Yep. But probably about eight or nine years ago, Katie, I started doing this thing in the summers that we've always called field trip Fridays. So on Fridays, I would not work and we would go and do something new, maybe, you know, a day trip sometimes or something just right in our town because there's so much that we don't see that's like right, uh, you know, underneath. But the reason I started doing that was because I recognize in myself, I'm the work parent, not the play parent. And so literally, like if I don't schedule time to play, I don't play. And I know that it's important to do that for myself, for my marriage, for my kids. And so, so we have this thing, you know, that they, we actually still do, except last week when it was field trip Friday, we went shopping for dorm room supplies because my son is moving out and to brunch. But so it's changed over the years, but it's still the way that I do sort of call back the, the work part of me and move forward with a little bit of a play part of me. I love that scheduling play, scheduling fun. I think I, that would actually be a really good mindset for me as well. <laughs> Put it on the calendar. <laughs> Whatever's going on, I can make it serious. So that's yeah. what my family was. Because people say, are you serious? And they're like, uh, yeah, she's always serious. <laughs> yes. But you've learned how to schedule fun and play. I love that. And and it looks different in different seasons, dorm mm-hmm. room and brunch, dorm yeah. room supplies and brunch. I love that. Well, I think that's a beautiful balance of truth about who you are, who God's making you to be, and also learning to engage fun and play. I love that. Um, so today I want to get into a little bit of your story. What what was the lie? So today we're going to talk about a specific lie and a specific truth that came and counteracted that, but really the journey through that. So will you just start with what was the lie that you believed that you functioned out of that you want to share with us today? Yeah. Before I share that, I do want to say that I have come to believe that all the, 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 the lie for all of us is be afraid. And, and what the enemy is telling us to be afraid of changes based on our experience and the season of life we're in. But I think, I think ultimately it took me a while to get to the lie, you know, to get me to, to get to the place where I understood what the lie was. But I think now I can get to it quicker when I ask myself, what am I afraid of? So I just say that as I start, because this is the lies take different forms, but they're not sophisticated. The enemy is like sneaky, but not sophisticated, So you know? And so it's always the same lie. But for me, the lie has always been, or for a long time anyway, has been, remember, you'll never belong anywhere. Um, that's the lie that he whispers in my head over and over again. Remember, you'll never belong anywhere. And it comes from uh, when I was 16, I was groomed and seduced into a romantic relationship with a high school teacher. And he was 39. I was 16. As I just said, he was married. He had a son just a couple of years younger than me. The relationship went on for about nine months. And, and what I've learned since all of this happened, I'm 47 now, that gives you a little time frame. Uh, what I've learned is that an abuser, a groomer, doesn't just groom his victims, but he grooms the community in which that he lives to. And I'm going to say he, because that's my experience. He was a man, I'm a woman. That doesn't mean it always goes that way, but um, but he grooms the community also. And so What happened to me, Katie, was after that relationship became public and it became very public because there was an anonymous call to the Department of Children and Family Services. So they got involved. I was a minor. The state police got involved and uh, it was on the news, uh, on the news, in the newspapers, you know, things. So it was it was very public. I lived in a small town of about 1400. I hadn't lived there a lot. I'd lived there several years, but we moved around a lot as a kid because when I was a kid, because my dad was an itinerant pastor. And so um, this little town of 1400 and this beloved band director uh, in this town with this charismatic personality, all the kids loved him. The parents loved him. There was this huge like parent group that raised money for band trips and all this stuff. Like he was the key of so much 
something. I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but you know, he was kind of the center of all of that. And so over the years, as he had done this, I was certainly not the first, you know, to several girls, usually about one a year, people just turned a blind eye to that, I guess, or they didn't recognize it. Or I don't want to make up stories about what they were thinking or feeling because I don't know. But what I do know is when our relationship became public and it was the first one to kind of blow up like that, if you will, and I was invited to share my truth and I had to, not invited, required uh, at the school board meetings and, you know, different things like that that were happening. Uh, I, they didn't believe me. Uh, they they uh, created like, I wouldn't say a campaign. I don't think it was organized that way, but it was that, I mean, think of it like a, a bad you know, be like made for TV movie in the small town. And this is what happens. You know what I mean? Think of that kind of thing. And that's what my life was. That's what I was going through. And at meetings, people would come and read letters of support and they would call me a homewrecker. And some people called me a whore and parents would like clap and cheer. And how are we going to take this whole program down on the, on the, on the word of one girl? And, you know, it was, it was really, really horrible. And so it was actually, and it took me a long time to figure this. It was actually, that part was worse than the abuse. And I'll say that openly now, like that part is the part that I've ha- had a hard time healing from. The abuse was much more, for me, much more healable. <laughs> I don't know if that's a word, but then this kind of rejection and really being labeled an outcast. So I share that because I had moved around a lot as a kid. I didn't have real close family connections. I already struggled with this idea that I don't know where I fit in. That was, which was one of the things that made me really vulnerable to his tactics because he made me feel special, right? That's what I wanted. I wanted to believe that I belonged somewhere. And he said, I believe belonged with him. But after that happened and I didn't belong with him, I mean, that was obvious. I didn't belong in that town. My family wouldn't speak of it. We didn't talk about it. We still don't talk about it. So that wasn't something I didn't, I thought maybe I was unacceptable there. Uh, The church didn't really want me. Um, they didn't want to deal with it. I wouldn't, they didn't kick me out or anything, but they didn't want to deal with it. I didn't go anywhere that it was okay that this has happened to me or that I need to talk about it. Or, you know, he had isolated me so much by the time that all began to happen. I had walked away from my friends. That's what an abuser does. I'd walked away from my friends and um, broken up with the boyfriend that I'd had for several years, you know, and all those, all those kind of things. And so it created this really fertile ground in my heart that anything, anytime something happened in my life, it felt like the slightest bit of rejection. And we deal with that all day, every day, don't we, Katie? Right. And anytime it's just this, this, this mantra, remember, Angie, remember, you'll never belong anywhere. Uh, and so that's, that's a long answer, but I think it, I hope it's important to sort of set the stage a little bit uh, to kind of be like, this is, that was the fertile ground in my heart that began to allow the enemy to plant seeds that took very deep root and then would affect my, my life moving forward. Well, and it sounds like, I mean, first, thank you for sharing your story. That, that story, like what you described, like a, a B-level movie. I, I think a lot of us can imagine that because we've probably watched those movies. <laughs> That's right. But, but this wasn't a movie. This was your real life as a 16 year. I mean, you're a teenage girl becoming a woman and you're shaping what you believe about yourself. And this is a horrific event and not just a horrific event. Like you said, the abuse was more healable um, on some level than 
the rejection by the community, the the names you were called, and really not being believed. And so this lie that you're describing of you'll never belong anywhere, the level of I'm imagining a plant with roots. This was not like a surface level lie that had small roots in your soul. This now with the the level of rejection you experienced from your community, the fact that your family, that your church was not talking about it with you, that root goes down so deep that I would imagine it becomes so ingrained in how you live, how you experience life, others, and yourself, what you believe about yourself. So I appreciate that you unpacked that story because it gives us a picture of how deeply this lie goes or went for you. And then not only like you've unpacked that, but then what did it look like to live out of that? So that happened when you're 16, that lie is there. You've, you've moved around a lot. So it sounds like there was echoes of that even prior to the abuse happening. What did it look like 16 on to live out of that lie? Yeah, so I I began to really accept the fact, to believe the fact that I, as a person, didn't have any value, right? Which is, I think, one of the reasons why it's so important that the Lord invites me when you say, tell us about yourself. Like, He encourages me, talk about who you are, not what you do. Because my default in my nature, in my personality, I have gifts of administration. As I said earlier, I'm serious. I'm a planner. I'm like, you know, I'm like, that. that's the person that I am, you know? And so I worked. Katie, I, I, I worked, I worked all the time. My, I didn't know this. I wouldn't have been able to say this then, but over the next 20 years, 25 years, even before I really began to sort of have a reckoning with this, if you will, I didn't have any value and I didn't belong anywhere because of who I was. And so I will make myself valuable and create a place of belonging because of what I do. And so I was very productive and I will say, I want to put a little asterisk by that and say, I did a lot of good work for the kingdom. And Jesus was pleased with me. Like I I know that now because for a while I felt like my whole life was a waste because I was doing it wrong, you know? And so I've, I've gone through this and no, 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 no. I really, I loved the Lord. I was, and I loved his people and I really wanted to do things that were in line with his uh, uh, will for me, if you will. Um, but the problem with all of that work, the leading committees, and I would like, I started worship services and like started, you know, d- took dying worship services and sort of brought them back to life. And I taught and I, and I, and I, and I, and I, and I, right. But the problem was that didn't come from an overflow of knowing he loved me. Instead, that came from a place of, I, I, I don't do this because he loves me. I do this so you will love me, right? So that the people will love me. So I will be accepted here. And when we, when we serve him from an overflow, because I do believe that, you know, faith without works is dead, right? We serve him from an overflow of our time with him, our relationship with him. That brings us joy and peace and rest and hope. But when we serve him from a place of like needing something from someone else, like I was doing, I was very tired all the time. And it was never enough because any affirmation that I got from people, and I did because people were good to me. I'm not horrible. They're not horrible, right? Like that, you know, they were like, add a girl. That's so great. You know, you can do this too. You know, I mean, I was like that person. Um, And so that, but those little like strokes of affirmation were just enough to keep me in that lane and not looking for how would I go about unrooting this sort of like source of this never ending cycle of I, I couldn't do enough to be good enough. It was impossible. Mm-hmm. I love what you said. I think you said something really significant too when you you're doing all of this work to find a to make a place of belonging. Essentially, however, like, and I want to get into this in a second. Like, what was the reckoning? But 
as you grappled with that, initially it's the feeling of, oh no, was it all a waste because I was doing it from a wrong place. And the beauty of, no, there was significant kingdom work that God did. And, and almost he takes our broken approach, our, our broken selves and what we're doing out of that. When, when we're working, doing kingdom work, he can take that and make it beautiful, even if in ourselves, it's coming from an unhealed place. And I think that I'm thinking of where he says, all things work together for good, for those of, for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And I, that, I think that's really significant because throughout this season, as we're hearing lies and we, and our, get our audience resonates with the lies that our guests are sharing, there is that moment of, oh no, was it all a waste then if I was living from this lie? And there is that place of somehow God makes good out of even the places that we're offering in a broken way. Absolutely. Because he, he knows where he knows the heart that we're doing that from. And he, um, he has this great, uh, makes me emotional. He's this beautiful tenderness for the brokenness in our lives, right? Like just, and, and so he really tried to protect me. And I know we'll talk about this in a second, but he really tried to protect me. He was protecting me. He was inviting me to receive his protection. Let me say it that way over this like self deprecation. Is that the right way to say it of, yeah, this has been wasted because he kept saying, no, no, now, you know, me differently. Now we can do this differently that you were doing what you were doing from the best place that you could, given what you knew of me then. Now we'll do something different because now we're going to, you're going to learn more of me now, you know? So um, yeah, I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that. His tenderness, like in the Psalms where it says he's near the brokenhearted. Yes. So that whole time he's near you and he knows there's a brokenheartedness that this is coming out coming from. And he doesn't want us to work like that. Like he doesn't want it to be like, he's like, actually my kingdom work, actually partnering with me doesn't have to be, doesn't have to feel so desperate. Right. Like doesn't have to feel so desperate. Yeah. Yeah. Desperate in a way where you can lean on me, but not desperate in a way that you're like (laughs) clamoring for survival or something, you know? Yeah. Desperately for closeness with him, like that Mm -hmm. leaning into him, but not desperate. Like your journey. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. I love that. So that's where you were. What was the reckoning? What happened where you had to deal with this lie? So I laugh now because I think now God was so serious about getting a hold of my heart and freeing me from that. But in 2010, uh, about uh, 12 years ago now, right? I was in a head-on car crash, Katie, and I was uh, hurt very badly. And uh, the the four of us, my husband and, and two sons were in the van and a man fell asleep at the wheel at noon on a Sunday, crossed the center line and changed our lives forever. I, uh, my son and I, my older son and I had eight surgeries and I was in rehab for nine months. I didn't take care of myself. I didn't take care of the church I was serving. I didn't take care of my home. I had a seven month old at the time. He had to go live with my mother. Uh, it was like, talk about your world turning upside down and what happened. I didn't know this then, but I can now I have this clarity, right? Cause hindsight sometimes what happened was all those plates that I was spinning and all that doing came crashing to the ground. I didn't take care of myself. I didn't take care of anything. Right. And so if the doing has stopped, then all that's left is who you are. And so I had to begin to ask those really hard questions. If I don't have, if I can't do anything and that's where I'm valuable. And again, I didn't know enough to ask this way. It wasn't this clear at the time. So I don't want to paint a prettier picture because at first, all I kept saying was, I just want my life back. I just want my life back. I just want my life back. And the Lord in his, in his deep 
like passionate love for us, for me, um, just said, we're not going back. This is, this is an opportunity where we're not going back. And so, and he invited me to walk forward and we get that choice. We do. I could have just built my life back the way it was, but I began to sit with him and I began to listen to him, not right away again, because part of, for a while it was just about physical healing, just about getting strong enough again that I could even, you know, but in those moments, and I can share a, a multitude of different experiences with him, but in those moments where it was really hard over and over again, he continued to invite me to begin to not only seek this physical healing and do that kind of work, but also the emotional healing that was so desperately needed for my heart. And I think there was such a tangible parallel for me, you know, as I went through surgeries, as my body and my bones begin to heal, as I've participated in physical therapy, hours and hours and months and months of physical therapy, you know, all those things that had to be, then it helped me respect the length of the process for my heart's healing as well. So he was very kind to me. I look at that crash now and I think of his kindness in it, which again, that's not what I was thinking of at first by any stretch of the imagination, but it's what, it's what called the question. Ultimately, I had to ask, I had to answer his question of, will you, you've been a student of the word forever, right? Like, I mean, you've been studying it and teaching it. You know me, you know my promises. And here we are at this place where you get this like really wonderful opportunity to decide, am I going to live by this lie or am I going to live by the promises of God? Because if you will live by my promises, you can let go of everything you're doing based on this lie. Wow. Wow. So you have that moment. He's inviting you to that was there a moment for you where you said, yes, I want to go your way? Or was that a gradual progression? Both. But I will say uh, one of the most powerful moments was it was after I was released from the hospital and I was home. And because so I I did not go to the bathroom on my own. I didn't move from bed to wheelchair. I didn't I real I didn't brush my own teeth. Like I'm telling you, I did not do anything. My older son had two broken arms. He was six years old. He didn't do anything for himself. The baby, as I said, was seven months. And he went to live with my mom for a while because, of course, the baby didn't do anything for himself. And so what happened, Katie, was is we had this group of close uh, friends and a couple of family members who came. And every few days they would bring this was like before. There's probably an app for this now, but they would bring all their calendars and stuff and they would decide who could cover us for the next few days. Right. I can take her to that appointment. I can take Alex. That's my older son to that appointment. I can go get the groceries this week. And it was so like it was humiliating to me because it was just like all of these people, first of all, to need that much was just humiliating. But also it was just this reminder of how many balls I did keep in the air all the time, right? Because these were all the things that I was doing before. And and so they would come over every few days. And one of those kind of, it'd been happening for a little while, but I'd been home for a little while. My sister was taking care of me that day. And she moved me from, kind of didn't ask me if I remember right, but she propped me up on the couch with pillows and things and let me sit in there while they were talking. And I didn't want to hear it. I I had a bad attitude in my heart. I'm like, I'm not needed here. I can't offer anything. I'm just, you know. And so I asked her to bring me my iPod so I could just listen to some music and not listen to the discussion. And I listened to a couple of country songs and a couple of 80s pop songs because that's my playlist, you know, in my iPod. And then the song uh, Born Again by Third Day came on. I don't know if you know Mac Powell's music, but that's been dear to me a long time. And in that song, he sings about finding himself, but not being the person that he expected to find. And he sings about, feels like I'm born again, 
feels like I'm living for the very first time in my life. And I could feel this invitation and this just wash of grace over me. And I looked at the people who were gathered with their calendars out and their mouths were moving, but I couldn't hear them. And I just felt like the Lord was saying, you know, you're watching all of this and all you see is what you've lost. That's all you see right now. And that's understandable, right? Because you've lost a lot. Uh, you you haven't, there's some things you haven't lost and you're very grateful for that. We all survived. And that was the, you know, that was really what we were focused on. But he's like, you've lost a lot and you're focused on that right now. And how do I get it back? How fast can I get it back? But if you'll let me, and I just heard this imitation in my heart, not with my ears, but if you'll let me, I want to show you a better way. I want to show you a better way. And I surrendered that. I didn't know what that meant or how scary it would be, but I really did just say, I trust you. I've been walking with him a long time. You know, I knew that voice. I was familiar with it. And I just said, I don't know what you mean. I don't even understand what you're asking, but I trust you. And so just show me the way. And I would go back to that moment. I still go back to that moment. You can tell it's still very uh, dear to me. I go back to that moment a lot when I don't understand the way or when I feel like maybe I haven't made any progress or something. And I think about that woman propped up in the corner of the couch, broken inside and out. And I realized that that invitation and accepting that invitation has changed everything for me. But it's a daily, you know, it is. So there's that moment, right? That that really powerful moment with God. But then there's also the scent of that moment every day in my life as I make decisions. Yeah, it's a, it sounds like it's a choice. It was a choice in a big way in that moment. And then it was a choice. It is a choice yes. in an everyday way as you Perfectly live life. Said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... I want to show you a better way. What has that looked like moving forward from that moment? And so that's 12 years ago. What has that better way been? What was, what has that looked like? Yeah, practically, because I'm a practical person, you know, for me, ultimately what it has looked like, Katie, is recognizing what fear or anxiety looks like and feels like in my body, in my mind, you know, because when that anxiety rises for me, I ask myself, what are you afraid of? And it almost is always linked to something with that original lie that I said, remember, you'll never belong anywhere. And I can identify what has done that. And then I can speak his promises from scripture over it. And that sounds really like like a bow on top and it's a very perfect answer, but it's an imperfect process. You know what I mean? Because it takes a little while to know yourself well enough to be like, oh, this is what's triggering this. This is what's happening. It can be everything from comparison. Uh, it can be a close friend needing to cancel a lunch date. It can be my husband not being responsive to something. I mean, like it just, you know, it, a rejection or some kind of feeling like I'm removed for something, you know, anything like that. I I mean, my word and being like sort of an online ministry. Oh my gosh, there's numbers and value, number value placed on everything. I mean, like, it's just, it's a jungle out there, you know? So I have to recognize when are you doing the thing? You know, when is your mind going to that lie? And what does that feel like in your body and your mind and your spirit? I call it soul chaos sometimes. And then Will I discipline myself and pause and go back to what I know? Will I remember the things that God has placed on my heart? Will I remember he loves me with an everlasting love, Jeremiah 31, 3? Will I remember that he never leaves me nor forsakes me, Joshua 1, 5? Will I remember that his mercies are new every morning, Lamentations 3, 23? Will I remember that he is my present help in trouble, Psalm 46, 1? Will I remember that he knows me, that he calls me my name, and that I am his, Isaiah 43, 1, right? And so I literally just like... But I do some like breathing exercises sometimes with scriptures. I I say those scriptures out loud. I say out loud, you have no power here. That is a lie and I know it. And yeah, and some days 
I do it and I remember it. And some days I melt down and lo- and yell at the people I love the most because I don't do it. Right. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of how it's changed for me where I'm like, Oh no, no, this feeling it's real. The feeling is real. And you remember what it was like at that school all those years ago and how those people called you a liar. And that's what you're feeling right now, but that's actually not what's happening right in front of you. Right. And what is happening right in front of you is this temptation to believe the lie that because that happened to you, then you'll never belong anywhere now. And that's a lie. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Especially the connection you just made between in this real moment in real time right now, that wave of that lie, you won't belong anywhere. And the weight of that, because it's, it's a lie, but your experience of that lie was really deep and really intense. And so that wave now, when you get confronted by that, and what I'm hearing you say is there's a a level of self-awareness. Okay. I'm feeling this feeling is happening. It's, And it's huge because of what has happened in the past and how deeply rooted that lie was. Now I will engage speaking truth over that lie. And it sounds like you even speak it out loud at times. You accompany with breathing exercises at times. So there's a a body awareness as aware. I'm hearing you. Not only is it just, okay, I'm going to find a verse that works. It's literally proclaiming the truth over your current reality and addressing what you're feeling in your body. And so it's not just a, a quick fix. There is a powerful experience of proclaiming the truth over your current moment and really grounding. It sounds like a grounding tool with the power of God accompanied in that scripture over your current reality, as well as knowing what you're feeling in your body. And I think kind of that whole picture is really relatable because sometimes I find the spiritual side and then the physical or emotional side separated when we're starting to address lies in truth and really incorporating that you've, you've talked about the emotions, being aware of what you're feeling, breathing exercises, what's happening in your body, and then speaking scripture over that is a really powerful kind of recentering, regrounding, and then speaking the truth of this moment. You're not in the weight of what has happened to you. You're in this moment and you may be experiencing rejection on a human level that, that absolutely can be happening but you're finding the truth of God and you even bigger than that. That's kind of what I'm hearing. Is that, is that accurate? No, that's, or am I- per- no, that's perfectly. And I, you know, I remind myself, even if you are experiencing rejection in this moment, because we do, right. Uh, there is no, everyone in the world could reject me. They're not going to, but they could. And yet, and still I would never walk alone because God promises me I am his. And that is true. Nobody can take that away from us, you know? And so for me, that's a huge a part of God's character that I cling to. Um, I see you. I know you. You are mine. Nobody takes that away from you ever. And some days that's, I, I, I hang on to that pretty tightly. If I can add one thing too, uh, one of the things that I also do is, um, I have enlisted my husband's support over the last few years. I've talked more about this. And if you don't have a husband or, you know, a close person, but if there's someone in your life that can sort of walk this with you, I'm pretty open with my kids. They know my story. I kind of just tell it in pieces as it's appropriate, but it affects my parenting a lot. And so it's helpful for them to know me. They laugh about mom's trauma brain because sometimes I'm just like, oh, I have to say, I'm sorry. That didn't come. That didn't, that didn't go the way I wanted it to. Right. They're just, okay, that's mom's trauma brain, which is funny, not funny, but I'm glad we can kind of do that, you know, but my husband, because I didn't talk about this early in our marriage. And so it's changed us. It's changed our relationship as I began to understand for myself how I behave a certain way. But uh, sometimes we just have these little words or signals with each other that help. Like for instance, my son just graduated from high school and he played 
four years of high school basketball. Well, that was a pretty big trigger for me because they have a they have a pep band that played. How did the songs not change? They played some of the songs we were playing when I was in high school at the pep band, you know, when I was involved with the band director, all that. And so um, we got to do this thing and it would it would be hard for me because I wanted to be there and I wanted to be present for my son. He worked really hard to gain a spot on that team and he worked really hard to be good. And I needed to be there and be able to be present and experience that with them. But the basketball games and the pep band and the smells and the sounds were hard for me sometimes. And, um, and so my husband and I started this little thing where we, he would look at me or I'd look at him and we'd say, there's a band like this, like fake happy, you know, sort of thing. And it was just Katie. It was just, it took the edge off in that. Like Matt knows this is hard. That's my husband. Matt knows this is hard. He sees me and he knows that I'm doing this for our kid and it's going to be fine because nobody here are, they're not the people that were there then, even though it feels like that right now, you know? And, um, and so I just say that too, because if there's someone, as we recognize this and as we can identify how our behavior is shaped by the lie we're believing, if there are people in our life that we can invite into that and be able to say it out loud, that, oh, that has helped me so, so, so much. I love that because it's, it sounds like a really light way to express a lot of story. Yes. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. between you and your husband, there's a yeah. quick, um, and whoever that would be. And for our audience, whoever's listening, whoever that close person would be, or the person who knows yes. your story. And it's kind of going through life with you. That person knows. And so when you say, Oh, there's a band and that's happy. <laughs> um, that is in that moment, your husband's attuning to you and your full story and you're acknowledging the pain and even maybe the destabilization that moment is causing you, but someone else is there to join you in. I see you, I know, and we'll be okay. And, and you'll be okay. I'm, I know what, I know what this moment means to you. I love that because that's really practical because there are, for those of us who have histories of trauma, there are moments throughout our life where that can get triggered. And so, so to have a quick, how do I acknowledge this quickly and be able to name it? So it's not just stuffed inside and I'm spiraling inwardly. I can name it. And then I can be back in this present moment, especially when it's a present moment for someone that you care about your, your son, you want to be there for him. I love that. And that's a really helpful tool. I think like, I'm actually going to borrow that (laughs) for my own life, (laughs) whatever, or, you know, a friend that you can text and say, there's a band, whatever that is for you. Right. You know, and so somebody, and they can just send back a heart or something and that it doesn't need to be a lot, but it's like, I can say this out loud. And then that moves me from that it stops that swirl, whatever that swirl is that feels like it's going to take you down. And you're like, no, that's a lie. And I'm not going to just sit here and miss this moment with my son because I'm wrapped in and wrapped up in my 16 year old feelings and giving the enemy a fertile place to say, remember for me, you'll never belong anywhere. You don't belong here at this game. You don't belong here in this family. You don't belong. You didn't belong there. You don't belong here. You know, it just is a spiral. And um, but what can we do to sort of stop that descent? Yeah. I love that. Cause I think we, it's helpful to have a practical stop. Like that's mm-hmm. really, yes. really helpful. Okay. So I want to kind of full circle this. The lie was you'll never belong anywhere. That's deeply rooted. God's brought you through this powerful process of transformation, a reckoning, like genuinely you had, you could not earn any sense of um, identity through any kind of working. It's all the way down to just who you are. God has brought you through so much, giving you so many tools and invited you into a tender way of living with him. If you could summarize, so what would be the truth that counteracts that lie? You'll never belong. That's the lie. What's the truth? 
So for me, I have a a verse that is, I love so many verses, as you can imagine. But for me, uh, Psalm 40, verse 2 is kind of the one that I go back to all in all, all the time. In the NLT, it says, he set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. The ministry that I have is called Steady On. It's from that. He steadied me as I walked along. And there's a truth in that, like you keep walking, sweetheart, and you're going to hit the places that are slippery, right? You're going to get off balance. You're going to, but he, in his love for you, in his never leaving you, in his uh, ownership of you. And I say that in the pure way, right? He's right there and he will steady you. This is not too big for you and you're not going to fall apart and you're not going to like ruin his reputation because you do it wrong or something like that. All the things that I can make up in my head, right? No, Uh, he set my feet on something solid and he steadies me as I walk along. As you walk along. I yeah. love that. And it doesn't say as you walk along perfectly, he'll steady no. you. <laughs> Thank goodness. You, there is space for you to do it imperfectly. And yet he is still steady in you. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. So as we kind of wrap up this, this conversation, is there anything that you would like to share or anything that maybe you're sitting and thinking, okay, I want to hit this one more thing about your story, about the work you do? I think I just want to say you can do this. You can do this one day at a time. The ministry, my ministry is so much about steady steps and, and stepping forward and, and steps and steps because for me, it's one step at a time. I would like for God to just be like, here's, here's where we're going. Let's just, you know, just get us there or whatever. But the road is windy sometimes and always, I think, and it's muddy and mucky and the enemy is relentless, but God is more relentless. He loves you. You are equipped for this battle. The truth that is in scripture isn't just random truth. It's your truth. It's our truth. It is the truth. And so find yourself a a verse to hang on to or 10. You don't have to know the address and be able to quote it completely, but know the concept so that you can call on it and begin to build your toolbox to say, when this starts happening to me, I know what to do. And I know how to get back into connection with God. So I think if I, I I think if I had any advice, which I'm careful about giving advice, but give yourself grace and trust him. He loves you so much. He is going to show you the way out. I love that. He will show you the way out. And I love that. I think also you actually offer, uh, did you say a workshop or class? I'm trying to remember on facing your triggers. So will you tell us a little bit about your ministries? Where can people find you? Because I want to put this in the show notes, because as we're listening, I am certain that we are going to want to find more of what you do. (laughs) Well, I appreciate that so much. I have a bio link that kind of has all the things and uh, it's linktr.ee slash live steady on linktr.ee backslash live steady on. And from there, you can get the website is livesteadyon.com. You can connect to the website, Facebook, Instagram, all those kind of things. But also, yeah, I do have a workshop that I just do periodically through Zoom called Talking to Your Triggers, Talk to Your Triggers. And it takes you through five steps of just kind of what I was talking about, recognizing what your body is doing, remembering God's promises, I'm repeating the process, you know, when you, and so, um, but there's a free download if you just want those steps in the scriptures. So it has five steps, the question to kind of ask yourself in that step and scriptures that go along with it. And so if you go to that link tree bio link, there's a free download there. If any of your listeners would like to have it, I would welcome uh, just sharing that with them. Cause it's something that I've put together that as you know, I just began to say, how, what's the process that your brain is going through as you're doing this kind of help letting God steady you, if, if I will, if, if you will. And, um, 
And how do I put that down maybe so that it might be beneficial to someone else? So that's what that is. Okay, awesome. We will make sure that we have the, the link tree link in there and then that free download they can find through that. So yeah. we will make sure we have that in the show notes because I think that will be super helpful for anyone who's listening. And just thank you for joining us today. And thank you for sharing so vulnerably about how God has worked in your life. It was a really, really powerful story to hear. I appreciate the opportunity to share, Katie. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this conversation. To find out more about Original Design Restored and what we do, head to our website. The link is in the show notes. And as we close, I offer you this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace.